These are photos of the vessel in Hudson Yards, New York. It is made of an infinite loop of stairs. You can walk forwards, that is, in just one direction without ever turning back along these stairs forever. The concept of infinity is mind-blowing. If you were asked to write down the biggest number possible, no matter what number you write down, there will always be a bigger number. Infinity is ultimately incomprehensible. In today's passage, Paul is trying to capture the immeasurable love of God in Christ. Or we could say the infinite love of God in Christ. God's love cannot ultimately be measured. There is no finite ceiling with which we can reach the full love of Christ. And yet, at the same time, Paul is ultimately praying that they may be filled to the measure. Filled with what? Of all the fullness of God. From verse 19. How can you reach the full measure of something that is immeasurable? How can a finite being capture something that is infinite? Now might be a good time to pray, so please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, grant us pause prayer that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God for your glory forever and ever. Amen. Today, we will finish the first half of the book of Ephesians. Then for the month of June, we will hear talks related to our annual missions month and hear from some of our link missionaries. And then from July, we'll return to the second half of the book of Ephesians. In overly simplistic terms, you can divide Ephesians into two halves. Part one, theology. Part two, application. Part one, theology, the doctrine, the teaching, the intellectual exercise, and then part two, uh, the application, the practice, the action steps, the physical exercise. Paul finishes off part one in today's passage with this prayer and doxology. And just like his prayer in chapter one, this prayer in chapter three is one long sentence in Greek. This probably shows the passion in Paul's prayer and his excitement for the recipients of this prayer. Even though his thoughts roll into each other without clear markers of a new thought, we can still roughly capture his main ideas. His prayer roughly breaks up into these two sections. Verses 16 to 17 is a request for power. Verses 18 to 19 is a request for knowledge. And then he ends in verses 20 and 21 with a doxology, a praise to God, a hymn. So in verse 14, we read, for this reason, for this reason, which, as Pastor Wayne mentioned last week, is actually a continuation of verse 1. So in verse 1, we read, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then Paul breaks mid-sentence and goes on a tangent. Verse 2. 
Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace. And then he thinks to himself, actually, maybe I should explain this. In summary, he says in verse 8 that he is the one to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And then before his detour, going back to chapter 2, he says, both, that is, Jews and Gentiles, both have access to the Father by one Spirit, chapter 2, verse 18. So here we have Paul, who is so excited about this gospel going out to the Gentiles, and so excited that he is the one to lead this ministry to the Gentiles, that he falls to his knees in prayer before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, verse 15, that is, both Jews and Gentiles, from ages past and present, the Father of all fathers, the Creator, the one who gave existence to every family, he kneels before this Father in prayer and asks for two things. One, a request for power for these Gentiles and a request for knowledge for these Gentiles. So firstly, a request for power. It is difficult for us to grasp the immensity of God's glory. So difficult, in fact, that Paul prays that his readers may be strengthened with power. Paul asks for power for his Gentile readers. Where does this power come from? It comes out of God's glorious riches in verse 16. Or it can also be phrased, out of the riches of his glory. The treasure trove of his glory is rich. It is vast. It is boundless. This is hard to grasp. So let's put this in real world terms. Something that is within our reach. Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, has a net worth of $105 billion. Yes, totally within our reach. But he's just number two on the rich list. The number one on the rich list is $40 billion richer. Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, has a net worth of $145 billion. US. That's $225 billion in Australian dollars. It is hard for us to comprehend this level of riches, let alone the riches of God's glory. For perspective, the Sydney Opera House, it cost $102 million to build. That's 0.05% of Jeff Bezos' current net worth. ANZ Stadium, our Olympic Park Stadium for the 2000 Olympics, it cost $690 million to build. That's 0.3% of Jeff Bezos' current net worth. The Amazon founder could build a world-class stadium for one-third of 1% of his total net value. And yet... The riches of God's glory outshines any human example we could ever give. 
we need power through the Holy Spirit, verse 16, to truly understand this. We need a foundation in the Spirit to understand this. Paul expresses this reality in verse 17. He says to these Gentile readers, he says that these Gentile readers are rooted and established in love. He is referring to the Holy Spirit in their inner being, verse 16. He is referring to Christ dwelling in their hearts, verse 17. They are the same thing. The Holy Spirit in their inner being, or Christ dwelling in their hearts, this is the love that they are rooted and established in. And you can hear here that he's using two metaphors. He's using a metaphor of a garden and of a building. So to be rooted, to grow plants and trees, they must be rooted in nutrient soil. Many of us know the parable of the sower, Mark 4, who threw seed and some fell among rocky soil. The plants quickly sprouted, but as soon as the sun came up, the plants withered because they had no root. The plants were weak. Paul prays for power, knowing that they are rooted in the Holy Spirit. And they are established, which can also translate that they are founded. It is the idea of being built upon. They are built upon the love of Christ. Many of us would also know the parable of the wise and foolish builders, A storm came, the winds blew, the waves crashed, and the house of the foolish builders was destroyed, while the house of the wise builders remained standing. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. It was established on a strong foundation. Paul prays for power, knowing they are established in the love of Christ. What does this mean for us? What should we pray for? I once heard Francis Chan, a Christian American author and preacher, talk about prayer. And Francis Chan said we should not, he said we should not pray, I quote, that my friend stops smoking or that my boyfriend stops looking at pornography or that my son stops smoking pot or that my daughter would not be so promiscuous, unquote. I can already picture a lot of the youth leaders, pastors, parents thinking, oh no, what have I just brought my youth group to? Smoking, pornography, promiscuity, surely we should pray against these things in the lives of our youth. Francis Chan says, ultimately, what we should pray for is that my friend would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner being. Yes, that's a bit of a mouthful. That's verse 16 or verse 17, which is a little more palatable. That my friend is rooted and established in love. There's a sense in which we pray for a strong foundation and not just outcomes. We pray for roots to dig in, not just results. Because if we are rooted in the Holy Spirit, 
if our foundation is in the love of Christ, then the outcomes just flow out from that reality. The result is a person who desires to please God. We should be careful not to focus too much on rules and programs, to attend church and Bible study every week, to have accountability partners, to have regular quiet times. Yes, these are very useful, but in the end, external factors don't change or grow people. It is ultimately only the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being that changes us. It is only being rooted and established in love by which we can grow. And so it is possible things aren't going well, that the preacher is not very engaging, or that my close friends or family become sick or injured, or that you get caught in the middle of a dodgy business deal. Or worse again, you live under a dictatorship that outlaws and persecutes Christians. Despite whatever difficulties and temptations come our way, it is still possible for a person to grow deeper in the knowledge and love of Christ if they are rooted and established in the love of Christ. Let's have a look at Paul's second request. Secondly, a request for knowledge. In verse 18, Paul's prayer is that they, quote, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Let's shorten that. Paul's prayer is that they may have power to grasp or to know, to have knowledge of. It seems odd to say that you need power to understand. If something is hard to understand, don't you simply ask for knowledge or wisdom? Paul could have prayed, Father, Grant that we may know the love of Christ. But instead he prays, Father, grant that we may have power to know the love of Christ. Paul seems to be doing two main things here. One, he is using power as a metaphor. And two, he is highlighting the divine origin of this knowledge. To say something requires power gives it a sense of weight, metaphorically speaking. The heavier something is, the more power you need to pick it up. Elon Musk's Falcon Heavy rocket weighs 1,420 metric tons at takeoff and can carry a payload of 64 metric tons. To lift one and a half million kilos into flight is incredible. I can barely lift 50 kilos. By using power as a metaphor, Paul is trying to capture something of the weight of the riches of God's glory. 
And the second reason he uses, uh, and the second reason why he requires power to know is to highlight the divine origin of this knowledge. It is impossible for us to know this love of Christ unless God enables us to know. No amount of human wisdom can bring us to the heart of God apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray to God for power, knowing the weight of the riches of God's glory. And we pray to God for power, knowing that it is only because of him that we can know anything. Continuing in verse 19, Paul prays that we may know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can you know something that is beyond knowing? How can Paul pray that we know this love if he considers that it surpasses the realm of knowledge? Experience is another form of knowledge. It is a knowledge that surpasses knowledge. Two people go to the beach on the same day at the same time. One person looks at the ocean with excitement while the other person looks in fear. Why? They are there at the same time looking at the same beach. The weather conditions are the same for both. They both can swim and there's no other external factors to make this beach more or less exciting for each person. However, The excited guy grew up on the beach, surfing most days, hanging out with friends on the beach, and built years of positive memories on the beach, while the fearful guy had a boat accident, was left to tread water for hours in the cold ocean, losing energy fast under a beaming sun and becoming very thirsty. No matter what dangers and examples you may point out to the excited guy, His experience will trump any knowledge. No matter what safety points or examples you give to the fearful guy, his experience will trump any knowledge. Or consider the friend who has returned from a concert uh, where their favourite artist just played. Adele, Coldplay, BTS, Blackpink, YouTube, pick your, make your pick. They even got randomly nominated out of the crowd of thousands to meet this superstar on stage in person. And upon coming home, they are so excited and with great enthusiasm, they try to explain to you, uh, they try to explain to you how amazing the concert was. But no matter how accurate they recall the events of the evening, you can't fully understand, you can't fully comprehend unless you had experienced it all yourself. Experience is another form of knowledge. It is a knowledge that, surpa- it is, it is a knowledge that surpasses knowledge. This is, this is part of what Paul means when he says, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To be a Christian is not simply an intellectual exercise. You can know about a beach, but you should experience the joy of a beach. You can know about a concert, but you should experience the joy of a concert. You can know 
your Bible, but you should experience the joy of walking in the love of Christ. How do you know something that is beyond knowing? You experience it firsthand. You live in it. It is no longer mere information written in a book or presented to you in a talk. It is something that you have been a part of in person. We pray that we may have power, Jews and Gentiles, to grasp how wide, long, high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Coupled with experience, therefore, is some form of action. You went to the beach. You went to the concert. You visited our church service today. The second half of Ephesians will go on to explain uh, more action points in which we can deepen our experience of the love of Christ as we love one another. Paul ends his prayer in verse 19. And in verse 19, he says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is basically a summary of all that he has just asked for. To have the power of God working within us is to be filled with God. And to have the knowledge of God implanted in us is to be filled with God. Such an extravagant prayer to be filled with God. Out of the riches of his glory, and he has more than enough to go around, that they may be filled with the power of God transforming our hearts, and that they may be filled with the knowledge of the love of God to truly experience God. So that as we walk around day by day, no matter what triumphs or challenges come our way, we are compelled with power from the inside to live in line with the Holy Spirit and to experience the joy and intimate knowledge of living in the love of Christ. And then Paul breaks out into a doxology, a hymn of praise to God. In verse 20, in verse 20 he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Paul is trying to convey the sheer scale of God's glory, that ultimately it is infinite in nature. Verse 8, he refers to the boundless riches of Christ. Verse 16, he mentions the riches of his glory. Verse 18, he says, how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. Verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And now in verse 20, God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. When we ask, we may be more realistic. When we imagine, we may be idealistic and possibly absurd, but God can do immeasurably more. Take the Jews, for example. They imagined the Messiah would come, overthrow the Romans, and establish their political and territorial reign around the city of Jerusalem. 
When Jesus the Messiah came, he went much further. He is overthrowing the hearts of all people, Jews, Romans, and Gentiles, everyone else. And he is establishing his rule, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout heaven and earth. We cannot imagine what heaven will be like any more than the Jews could predict how the Messiah would bring about the kingdom. Anything that we ask for or imagine will come up short. It is like a futuristic movie. Every movie that tries to portray the future comes up short. But however that future plays out, whatever the finer details of what is to come, may God give us power to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that we may enjoy the fullness of God to the glory of God forever and ever. Amen.